We continue our series on the ethos of the kingdom, the Beatitudes, learning what it means to live in the culture of the kingdom. Another way we can say this is it's a series on learning the DNA of the kingdom of God. And as we, as we do this, this series is teaching us what it really means to, to live as citizens of heaven, to live as people who follow Jesus, both in this life as the kingdom breaks through and what it will be like in the kingdom that's to come. The DNA of the kingdom is more contrary than what we believe naturally. When Jesus taught about his kingdom, it was completely upside down compared to what the world was believing in his day. Ironically, it is also upside down to what the world believes today. We've tried to justify and and erase some of those meetings over the years and try to make it fit. But when Jesus taught the Beatitudes, he was teaching something that was going to be permanently contrary to what we believe naturally. As we explore this series, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at the way Jesus turned the world upside down through his Sermon on the Mount. I pointed this out last time, but you'll see the chess pieces on the chessboard are upside down. You know, when you play the game of chess, the idea is to get each other's pieces knocked off the board, and you want to put the king, the last stance, in a checkmate. You want to end with the most of your pieces on the board and the least of theirs. You want to be able to put it so you can conquer the enemy and to totally immobilize them. This is how the world thinks. We always want to get more. We want to succeed more. We want to be able to have more of our pieces than everyone else has on the playing field. And we want to be able to push on as successful. But when Jesus teaches the idea of beatitude, he redefines what it means to be successful. He redefines what it means to follow him and what it means to live in this world. Jesus isn't addressing eight different classes of people as he lists the Beatitudes. He's actually teaching us the traits of a kingdom citizen. He's teaching us what it means to live. These are eight traits that we are all called to mirror and to wrestle with in this life and learn how to live out each one of those. This morning we are going to be looking at a message I've entitled, Down by the River. It is on Matthew 5, 9. And if you have your Bibles with you, uh, I encourage you to open up there uh, now. You can also follow along. It'll be on a screen. And Matthew 5, 9 is the seventh beatitude of the eight that we are studying. And inside your bulletin, there's also going to be some fill-in-the-blanks that you'll be able to fill in. Our passage is really easy this morning. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. This is a beatitude that we know very well. In fact, if you look at the world and analyze what they know about the beatitudes, this is probably one of the beatitudes that they know the most. This is probably one of the ones we know the most. And if we all sat down and asked each other what we think this beatitude means, it's probably the beatitude that we would all have the most different viewpoints on as well. It's one that has uh, been incorporated to mean different things by different many people. When Jesus turned the world upside down by teaching the Beatitudes, perhaps none of them was as hard to understand as this one. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. In this passage, we're going to look at a few things. We're going to look at what I think Jesus meant and what that means for us, not only on our public lives, but in our internal lives as well. Something that's... uh, 
pretty interesting as I, as I preach this here today, and it's Father's Day, I think of my own dad, who and I and him very much differ on what this means. We are uh, very, very opinionated. He is uh, much more opinionated than even me, and this is one issue that can really polarize us. So where I was brought up to believe in blessed are the peacemakers is not from the viewpoint in which I preach to you today. It is a, the, the point I preach today is one I've arrived at through much journey, and it is what I believe uh, the Bible teaches us about the Beatitudes of blessed are the peacemakers. The Beatitudes, far from being passive or mild, are a gauntlet flung down before the world's accepted standards. This is a quote from a commentary from Abington and Cokesbury. And this just teaches us what it means to live out the Beatitudes. They are not encouraging. They are not easy. They are not something that we're just going to go, oh yeah, now that I've heard that, I know how to live out being a kingdom citizen. No, the Beatitudes are like running a gauntlet. And if you don't know what a gauntlet is, one of the ways that it's best described is uh, especially in some Aboriginal tribes and Native American tribes, they would have this, this form of testing where people would hold weapons of sharpness and just, and just as someone would run through naked and unarmed, they would just lash into them and beat them with axes and chains and whips with, with uh, glass into them, that kind of stuff. This is what this commentary uses to compare the Beatitudes to. They are not an easy thing, and they are not accepted standards. The emphasis on peace and peacemaking is actually pretty frequent in the message of Jesus. It is no surprise to find that it's also part of the Beatitudes and the kingdom ethos in which he's teaching. After all, when he was born in a manger of no means, what did the angels sing? What did they sing to everyone that would listen? Peace on earth. Jesus himself reportedly told his followers, love your enemies, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them who despitely use you. This was some bold language and ideals for a time of deep oppression and abusive persecution. They lived in a time where it was safer to do your work and hide your head down in the sand. But Jesus called them to be radicals. In essence, he called them to stick their heads up higher even though there was somebody swinging him with an axe. He said, I know the outcome of what it means to stick your head up, but that's what I'm calling you to. And not only am I calling you to stick your head up and be a martyr, but I am asking you to stick your head up and to love the person that's holding on to the axe. I'm asking you to make yourself a peacemaker, somebody who loves those that are looking to do you harm. John's gospel also tells us that Jesus' last words to his followers were this. My peace I give unto you. It is this reason and many more that we don't have the time, and many more reasons we don't have time to pursue this morning, that Jesus was often defined as the Prince of Peace. Also known as the way to the Jewish people, Jesus blazed the path in which he invites and challenges us, us to follow him on. It's a path of peace, one against the world's norm, one against what we can justify, and one against what we often say is truly justice. On this next slide, you'll see the picture of what it looks like in Greek to see the word peace that Jesus uses. This word is an interesting word because depending on how your Bible translates it, the the idea of peacemaking is so much 
deeper than just peacemaking as we think about it. Some of us read that and we think, well, it means I have to have peace with God in my heart. Some of, some of us uh, read it and say it means that I need to, to work for peace on a national viewpoint. I would actually say that none of those answers are fully what this word means. This word incorporates many things in its meaning. In fact, it's a written Greek word to describe the Hebrew idea of shalom, a word that is so holistic and encompassing that we can never fully uh, understand it on this side of heaven. But in an attempt to try, I've come up with a definition. The idea of peace, as used in the Greek here, is a state of national tranquility, exemption from the rage and havoc of war, peace between individuals, harmony with everything, including nature, people, etc., Concord, security, safety, prosperity of the Messiah's peace, the way that leads to peace, the tranquil state of a soul assured in its salvation, fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot, of whatsoever sort, that is the blessed state of devout and upright men after death, to blessing and a wish. Whew. That's one word. Sometimes we, we get mad. English language of how it incorporates there, there, there. You know, there's all the different ways we can spell a word. Here, one idea of peace means those things that we tend to think about it and a whole bunch more. So when somebody says, peace be with you in this culture, or when someone says, shalom to you, they are encompassing all of this. They are asking for God's peace to be with you. It is not only a wish for you to be free from all trouble, but it means that they want you to enjoy all of the good of God, too. It's a blessing and a wish. If you notice the title of my sermon, it's down by the riverside. It's, it's named after an African-American spiritual, uh, which was written in the South during uh, the time of slavery in which they were beaten, they were erased as a culture, they were abused, and they were under the slave control of white farmers. Down by the riverside is also known as Ain't Gonna Study War No More, and sometimes it goes by the name of, I'm going to lay down my burden. This American, African-American spiritual song dates back to before the Civil War. But it wasn't first recorded to 1918. And if you are the type that likes to Google and listen to things on YouTube, uh, Sister Rosetta Thorpe did a cover of this song that is my favorite. And she performed this in the 1920s and 30s. Because of its pacific uh, imagery, Down by the Riverside has also been used as an anti-war protest song, especially during the Vietnam War. We as Mennonites are not uh, strangers to this song. It has been sung in many of our congregations because of our value of peacemaking over the years. Sadly, though, it seems that we've also arrived at this idea of blessed are the peacemakers in a journey through the Beatitudes at a time in which our country is full of unrest and violence. The picture you see before you is a picture from earlier this week when a young, troubled, wrong-filled, evil-filled man walked in and he killed nine people in a church, in an African-American church. He sat through a Bible study for an hour, then shared his racist thoughts with them and gunned them down. It's a time of unrest. It's a time in which people are mourning what it means to be at peace. If you read the newspapers, you'll see there are a lot of African-American churches asking the question, if we can't be safe in our churches, where can we be safe? That is a reality in which we live. This man 
though he was so wrong and he took so much of what these people loved, as he, he sat in his hearing, you watched the families give him a call of the kingdom. They modeled Jesus to him. They said, though I'm going to miss this family member, I'm going to miss this, or I'm going to uh, forever uh, have a void because of what you've taken from me, I forgive you. Not one of the nine families did not forgive him. Not one of the nine families didn't give him a call to find healing in Jesus. Their idea of justice they drew from God much more than what the world thinks of justice. I'm not sure in that same situation that I could do that. We cannot be okay with this level of racism, and we should not be okay with it. We should not bury our heads in the sand or justify the actions as mental disillusionment because that does an injustice to, one, what God is doing to us, those who are actually suffering from mental health, and it's a way of hiding our hand in the sand of what is actually happening in our world. We need to be aware of the systematic, economic, and personal racisms that are still present and controlling in our world. They had everything taken from them, and they issued peace, not hate, justice, or judgment to the oppressor. The song down by the riverside was already chosen as my sermon title song when this shooting happened. How fitting. Once again, we are learning from a people that are largely not represented here today what it means to be a peacemaker. Yet we as the Mennonite church are the peacemakers in our minds. There's a few points I want to take away from this sermon, from this passage, this little passage we read. For those that are willing to listen, Jesus teaches that peace is a part of the kingdom's ethos. The peacemakers are often called wimps, cowards, unrealistic, and cop-outs. They call it the same reactions in Jesus' time. I remember the first time that I decided that I was on this journey to becoming a pacifist, and I was uh, not in church, and I, and I told some friends of mine in the, in the punk rock scene that I was moving this way, and they just kind of looked at me, and they're like, really? Like, how does that work? You know, then they start to make fun of you, and you want to deck them, and all of a sudden you realize that isn't what it means to be a pacemaker. It's a journey. But for those of us that are willing to listen, God is calling us to discover that journey. He's discovering when Jesus is saying, blessed are the peacemaker, part of what he's doing is also saying, blessed are those who are already understanding this aspect of the kingdom. For some of us, it's a journey. For some of them, they were already there, and they were downtrodden, they were abused, they were poked and prodded and forgotten. They were not heroic company. They were the people who were despised by the Zionists, who were trying to take the country back from oppression, who were raising swords and riots and trying to overthrow Rome and an abusive spiritual authority. All of a sudden, Jesus is saying, those people that you've always made fun of, they, they're listening to what the kingdom ethos is. Those who pursue this DNA of the kingdom will experience a u- unique and momentum relationship with God. When he says... They will be the children of God, or they will be the sons of God. Jesus lets us know that those who pursue peace are actually on his side. You know, we get in these arguments of uh, whose side God is on. We had this in the Civil War. The South thought God was on their side. The North thought God was on their side. I'm not really sure that either ever stopped to contemplate that maybe neither of them were on God's side. 
We wonder when we are, as a nation, getting ourselves involved in foreign affairs, we like to say that God is on our sides and it's our responsibility to, to do this. But do we ever pause and say, but are we on the side of God? What is happening here is Jesus is saying the peacemakers, who are often called the wimps, those who are pursuing peace, they are on his side, and they will have a unique relationship with them that no one else will have. They are saying, he is saying they will experience God as a son and as a daughter and as a child. So what does this say to them who are not working for peace? What does this say for people who are not peacemakers? Questions we must ask ourselves. The reward of the peacemaker is that God acknowledges him as a very child, or her as a very child. They get to experience him as Abba, as Daddy. It could be said that peacemakers share likeness and one spirit with a father. So regardless what the world says, justice looks like. It's better to be a chip off the old block than not. It's better to be willing to go to the cross and surrender ourselves fully than to figure out what justice could look like and fill God in the cracks into that action. Sons have to share a lot with their father. Today is Father's Day. We're thinking about this. But God is saying, if you're like me, you will truly experience that relationship in a new way. You will truly understand how I am father. Matthew Henry, a commentary that I like to read, says this. The making of peace is sometimes a thankless office, and it is the lot of him who parts fray to have blows on both sides. Those of you who have ever stuck up your head and shared your pacifist views in a room in which there's not very pacifist, you quickly understand this quote. You get blows from both sides. You get blows from the Christians who are not peacemakers and the world who are not peacemakers. This idea is contrary to natural thinking. We as Christians are called to live a life that is opposite of natural thinking. To be a peacemaker is to intentionally work for peace in all contexts as an expression of the kingdom. Many assume that peace will just one day arrive. It will just come. People will mature into it. Some assume that if we put the right police or the right rules into play, that it'll cause people to uh, become pacifist, and people will learn to live together and play together. Others say maybe there can never be peace. Some say peace will come when all people become Christians, and that evangelism is then the key. And the idea is that if everyone could just understand that Jesus is Savior, there wouldn't be any more war. More Christians fight together in churches then I would say wars launch in the world. So I do not believe peace will come through any of those means. Jesus is saying, blessed are those that see the peace is work, the peace is a journey, and it is the work and the journey of the kingdom because it is the DNA of the kingdom. Peace is also part of the kingdom's culture, the kingdom's ethos. It'll take work to bring peace here. But it is what God is calling us to through this beatitude. Peacemaking is both a work that is currently active in times of violence, but is also needed as preventative work. It is curing the diseases of brokenness that cause pain and addressing all levels of broken issues of poverty that strike discord in our culture. In a time like this, when we look at 
uh, a shooting that has taken the lives of people in a church, we must ask ourselves, what systems, what cultures have we created that has allowed for something like that to happen? Peacemaking is a journey to discovering how to stop that from happening again. Being a peacemaker requires self-awareness of our actions and their consequences. There are two things that I want to say about this. Peacemaking doesn't just mean war and violence and shootings, but it also means what our hearts look like, what our minds look like, how we handle our relationships. We as Mennonites have been really good pacifists, but we've also been really good passive-aggressive citizens of the kingdom. Somehow we have not acted out in violence or going to war, but we've been okay with holding grudges, judgment, discontent, upsetness with each other. Peacemaking does not look like that. Peacemaking is a release of those very things. Peacemaking is learning to be at peace with situations, with each other, and those different than us. It starts in our heart. We can't talk about it on a national point till we understand what it means in our own lives. Secondly, even peacemakers can make trouble by mistake. We must be aware of the cultures we create and why. Brennan Manning says a quote, I can't remember the exact wordings, but in each relationship or each interaction we have with somebody, we are either creating life or snuffing it out. Peacemaking is realizing that in each connection and relationship we have, we need to plant life. We need to encourage life. We must be self-aware of what our actions are. John F. Kennedy was on this journey of becoming a peacenik, a pacifist. Some believe it's what got him killed. He wasn't a pacifist totally. He did okay war. But he said this quote, Peace is a daily, a weekly, a monthly process, gradually changing opinions, slowly eroding old barriers, quietly building new structures. Peacemaking is a journey and it's work. However, as we enter that journey and work on, we must also not hide our head in the sand and hide from the oppressions of the world around us. Just like in Jesus' time, it's easier to keep our heads down, but Jesus invites us to put them up, to run the gauntlets without protection. If peacemaking is an action, we are called to it. We must be in tune with looking for it as the kingdom, as a kingdom responsibility. It's not a natural responsibility as humanity. It's not a uh, national responsibility for our for us to get involved in the nation and creating peace. It is a kingdom responsibility. When we seek to create peace, we do so so that people know the source of that peace. That God is the source of peace. That God has called us to be peacemakers. It is that that we ask people to experience the kingdom as it is now. Peacemaking calls us to surrender all of ourselves, our expectations of justice and self-regard down by the riverside. So here were a people who were enslaved, and as they sang this song, they were surrendering themselves. They were giving up what it meant to have justice in the world's eyes. They were whipped, and as they were uh, brutally abused often and raped, 
they sang this song down by the riverside. I'm going to lay down my burdens. I'm going to lay down my sword and my shield. I'm not going to fight back. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to draw on God in his time for peace. They looked for God as a source of peace, for energy, for the kingdom. Not justifying how we can make the world's ways look like kingdom ways, but actually running completely against them. Peacemaking calls us to surrender ourselves, our expectations of justice and self-regard down by the riverside. And this is not easy. The world thinks of peacemaking like this. It's the name of two famous things, the B-36 and an army-issued single-shot revolver in the time of the Civil War. Both of these have been given the name the Peacemaker. The B-36 to this day is the biggest plane that has ever been created. It was created for World War II. It continued to fly through Korea, uh, maybe into the early Vietnam era, I'm not sure. But it is the largest bomber ever created. I do not know the payload, but when it drops, it can take down a whole city. They called that the Peacemaker because it silenced everything. The single shot was the fastest shot at the time. It was quickly drawn, it was lightweight, and it was a little better than every gun out there. So when someone drew you, on you, you were able to pull this out and silence the problem as the peacemaker. See, in the world's eyes, justice is being able to silence everything. In Jesus' eyes, it's being able to give new life by surrendering yours to it. At the riverside, we pick up a new study of the kingdom and study war no more. In a song down by the riverside, the chorus continues to say, I'm going to study war no more. I'm going to pursue war no more. Jesus invites us through the Beatitudes to join him at the riverside, to say, come with me to the rivers of the oppressive Babylon. Lay down what you know from this world. Lay down what you know through the culture of this world. Lay down what you know as the ethos of this world. Study war no more. Study only my kingdom ways. That's the invitation of Jesus. That's what the Beatitudes are teaching us. We as fathers have a lot to learn. Fathers should learn to model what it means to be a peacemaker in the world, in all of our relationships. Dads can be loud and we can fly off the handle quicker than other people in the families at times. We can be a little ju more judgmental than other people at times. Someone cuts us off, we like to yell at them, raise our fist. Fathers are called to model what it means to have a relationship with Jesus in our families. We are called to love it like Christ loved the church, to model the kingdom to the church, to our families. It's important for us as fathers to learn what it means to be peacemakers, to show and demonstrate that in each of our relationships so it's contagious to our children, but also so that we can show the light of that to the world. I have one more quote from John F. Kennedy, and he says this, and this is within regards to how the peacemaker is usually used as a wimp, Jesus wasn't too much of a wimp when he willingly gave himself on the cross, and that was not an easy task. Peacemaking is never an easy task when it's encountered with biblical standard. John F. Kennedy says, War will exist until the distant day when the conscientious objector enjoys the same reputation 
and prestige that the warrior does today. We have a hundred holidays that remember war victims and people in the military. But to show the creation of the culture that we live in and how countercultural this is to the world, there is not one that remembers a peace worker's way. In fact, the day that I shared last time, Mother's Day, how that was a day of peace has quickly just become a day of mothers. N.T. Wright says this, We are to pray that God's kingdom will come and God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The life of heaven... Uh, the, the life of heaven, the life of the realm where God is already king, is to become the life of the world, transforming the present into the place of beauty and delight that God has always intended. And those who follow Jesus are to begin to live this rule here and now. God created the world. He didn't create it with problems. He didn't create it with a need for war or the need for justice. He didn't need to create rules and regulations and policing policies, created some people, and he, they were supposed to live in a heavenly bliss in a place by a riverside. They were supposed to lay there. They were supposed to enjoy the goodness of God, to truly enjoy shalom, peace before the Creator. Nationally, internally, emotionally, they were to be at peace. Man broke that. But when Jesus shows back up on the scene after all these times in which God gave us rules to try to teach us that value once again, we get to a place where Jesus teaches us the Lord's Prayer. He teaches us a prayer that's a rhythm to align ourselves to the kingdom and to remind ourselves of what it means to live in heaven. What kingdom is to come is what kingdom God really first created and intended, one of shalom. We as Christians aren't called to seek justice in the ways of the world. We are called to create peace in the ways of the kingdom. Do you think here today, I ask this question, what violent thoughts, and I invite the worship team back up as we do this, what violent thoughts, actions, or workings do you need to lay down at the riverside? What grudges, discontentments, what Things are burying in the basement of your soul, your heart, your minds that are inhibiting you from understanding God's peace. What anger do you hold towards somebody or something? What ways are you angry at God or something for circumstances that are before your life? Where do you get the most upset? Where do you fly off the handle? These are the areas in which we need to be willing to lay down the river, at the riverside. Join God at the riverside before Babylon and just lay down the ways of this world and pick up a new study. 